Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. G'day and welcome to the Farms Advice Podcast, where we discuss everything agribusiness and a new topic each week. On today's show, we've got Sarah Hayne and we'll be talking about Australia's favourite summer fruit, well mine anyway, the Aussie mango. Sarah works for the Australian Mango Association and has had some excellent experience before landing her role. From volunteering as an agronomy advisor in the tropics of Laos in Asia for a year, she really got acclimatised with that tropical weather over there. It was a great episode to see how associations work closer with farmers and get the product on consumers' tables. I'll waste no more time, so let's get into it. G'day, Sarah. Excellent to have you on the podcast today. How's everything going up in Darwin? Yeah, good. We're um, just kicking off the wet season and hopefully it's going to be a good one this year with the uh, La Nina that the Bureau has announced. Does that impact Darwin too much with the wet season? Just makes it um, you mean in terms of mangoes or in terms of Darwin in general? It's just Darwin in general. Um, yeah, look, uh, the last probably two or three wet seasons have been particularly poor. So um, I know there's definitely an increased chance of uh, cyclones this season, but I think most people, are, even farmers, are looking forward to it because, um, yeah, the, the landscape really needs, needs the um, flush out with the extra water this season. So I think it'll be good for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And coming into summer, um, great timing. Yeah, exactly. So before we jump into it, could you just tell us a bit more about your story? We both went to UNE and just what you did after university. Yeah, sure. So um, I was actually born in northern New South Wales, but pretty quickly um, my parents, along with some of our other family, um, purchased a property in western Queensland, northeast of Longreach. 
Um, so spent most of my life out there. We um, have a pastoral grazing operation with merino sheep and um, drought master cattle. So my parents are still out there and um, this is actually our 12th year of drought. Um, so it's been, it's been a long 12 years and, um, yeah, it's, it's really emphasised the sacrifices that my parents have made and a lot of country parents make for their, for their kids, sending them away to boarding school and letting them pursue other careers. Um, but, yeah, as you said, I was at UNE. Um, I did a Bachelor of Rural Science um, and since then, I've been in and out of um, different agricultural industries, working in the cotton industry. Um, I had 12 months through the Australian Volunteers International Program in a very small country called Laos in Southeast Asia, doing some research around tropical forages. And now I'm based up in the Northern Territory with the Australian Mango Industry Association as the industry development officer. How did you get your foot in the door for the mango industry? Well, funnily enough, I, I literally just found this job on Seek. I was still in Laos, just about to come home from my volunteer position and I was um, just looking on Seek for some jobs and um, this one came up and then eventually I came home from Laos and spent about three weeks back on the farm with my parents. Um, anyway, had a couple of interviews, uh, this job and a few others. Anyway, they offered me the job and said, can you be in Darwin next weekend? And I said, wow. yes. So seven days later, I was uh, in Darwin. It's a quick, quick way to get straight into the job. Did Darwin, like the weather hit you pretty hard or not coming from Laos? Uh, yeah, I think Laos really prepared me and I was really lucky because I started just before the start of the mango season. So that's about August um, and that's the territory's dry season. So beautiful cool nights um, and low humidity. So um, it was, it actually worked out really well. Um, definitely the first wet season was a bit sweaty, but <laughs> you get to know fast that um, it doesn't really matter when everyone else is sweating just as much as you are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For like what, for your, working up in the main industry, what's your role that you play? So essentially, um, so my role is actually two really new roles in the industry. Um, the, we're the peak national body for the mango industry across Australia. Um, our head office is based in, in Brisbane and traditionally the mango industry has centred around Queensland. But in the last... Um, in the last couple of years, we've really seen an increase in production, particularly coming out of the Northern Territory. So um, my role is one of two regionally based roles. So I'm based in Darwin for 12 months of the year and I serve as the Northern Territory and also a small number of growers in Western Australia. And um, my colleague is based in Cairns and she services um, all of the Queensland growers. Essentially, we're a combination of... Um, communications and extension offices. So some of the key roles um, 
that we play are collecting and publishing um, our industry forecasts that we publish during the season to show um, production figures that are being dispatched to market. Uh, we also do some on-farm fruit testing using some near-infrared uh, technology to test the dry matter content of fruit. Um, and we also have an industry biosecurity surveillance program looking for exotic pests and diseases. Outside of that, we have a lot of other general industry um, development activities, such as hosting pre-season meetings, um, doing a lot of export registration for protocol markets, like those in um, mainland Asia. Yep. Uh, yeah, so it's a pretty diverse role. Yeah, it sounds like you've got, you've got to really spread out yourself, um, but a good way to learn about the industry more and talk to the farmers who are actually producing the mangoes. Yeah, exactly. And I, this is my first time in horticulture through this role. So it's been a very steep learning curve coming from the traditional industries of livestock and broadacre. Definitely. For like the farmers, how closely do you work to bolster like new technology, new techniques of working for mangoes to become more efficient and productive? Yeah, so I guess um, through uh, Horticulture Innovation Australia, which supports a lot of the horticultural industries in Australia, um, the overall goal of the strategic investment plan for the mango industry is to increase profitability for growers and um, increase the ability of the domestic and international markets um, to consume the growing production. So we work really closely. I would be talking to a lot of my growers very regularly um, and during the season probably once a week or more. Um, we're always out there um, talking to growers about new chemical registrations, um, best practices, directing them to appropriate sources of information. Uh, I guess we're like a connection point because growers don't have time to go searching around for information if they're not sure where it is. So um, we deal with a lot of growers coming to us, asking questions. We'll go and find out and come back to them and provide them with the answers so they don't have to waste their time. Yeah, just allowing the expertise to come through um, and letting them concentrate on their own work. Yeah, exactly. For... You said earlier that Darwin was wrapping up for their harvesting of the mangoes. What are the production figures looking for 2020? Yeah, so, I mean, for the early season varieties, so we've got a couple of major ripe varieties in Australia. Um, so most people would be familiar with um, what people call the Bowen mango, but the actual varietal name is the Kensington Pride mango. Um, we also have the R2E2s, the Calypsos and the Honeygolds. So generally the Kensington Prides and the R2E2s will come first. So they're sort of wrapping up in Darwin now, but we are still left with those later season varieties like the Calypso and Honeygold mangoes. Um, and then essentially we follow um, the region sort of further south um, further into the season. So it generally starts off in Darwin. Then we head down to Catherine, who's just started picking. Then we head over to Queensland, which sort of starts in the Burdekin, moves up to the Tablelands in Queensland, and then moves down to southeast Queensland. And all the while, we have some really small production areas going in Western Australia as well. What 
how much manga do we produce, do you know? Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the key parts of my role, as I previously mentioned, is putting together the industry forecast. So we collect um, production data direct from growers and publish that for retailers, logistical partners, packaging partners. So pretty much anyone who wants to go and look at it can um, look it up on our website every season. And that, and I mean, we will never account for 100%. We're currently up to about 85% of the levy data that um, we receive at the end of the season. But um, we just had our biggest season ever last season, which um, we produced just over 75,000 tonnes of mangoes from Australia. So that's a lot of mango. That's huge. Is that domestically and going overseas? Yeah, so currently we're really um, encouraging growers to start developing some export strategies, but currently only about 12% of um, our production goes to export markets. We eat a lot of mango then in Australia. Yes, we do. Um, so I think we're up to about 2.5 kilograms consumption per capita each year of mangoes. Per person, that's huge. What? Which is your favourite? Um, I actually like some of the varieties that are not particularly commercially available. There is a Florida-type variety called Tommy Atkins, which is mostly only found in Western Australia or produced in small amounts. Um, we also have some varieties that are in the commercialisation stages, which are not readily available at the moment and um, they haven't been named yet. So it's actually called 1243 at the moment. That's a bit unfair. You get first dibs on the mangoes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think I'm about up to my, maybe about my 20th mango for the season so far. So I definitely get my fill of mangoes every season. Sounds excellent. I wouldn't mind a mango or two throughout the week. Um, looking at value adding, we've, on our previous podcast, speaking with beef and lamb producers, is the mango industry looking at value adding? I see, like, there's a lot of dried mango on the shelves. Is that a thing that you're looking at improving or researching? Yeah, we're definitely, um, as an industry, definitely encouraging people to develop the, va the value adding thing um, because what we see during the season is that once we start accumulating um, class one, uh, sorry, class two and sort of bulk um, fruit that's coming onto the market, obviously it's not selling as quickly as the really premium fruit. And sometimes that can impact the prices received by growers in the market. So we are really encouraging growers to, um, look at value adding or processing that fruit so it doesn't need to get into the central markets. There is an increasing number of companies that are looking at um, dried, frozen, pureed um, products. And I know some growers, generally smaller growers, um, actually do their own value adding and just sell it locally as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way to start selling it locally and then start spreading it out see what the uptake is yeah or, definitely and sorry go. 
Um, I was just going to say a lot of that dried produce that we see is is actually not Australian produce. It's generally from anywhere from Thailand, Indonesia, or the Philippines. Oh, really? So, so it would be good to get a few farmers on board. Yeah, definitely. Keep that Aussie made going. Yeah, definitely. For the industry, you're like dealing with the eating experiences for consumers. How are you? keeping innovative for consumers uh, across Australia and for the 12% of exporting? Is that a yes. big thing? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is, that's probably one that's of our main focuses. Yeah, definitely, because our um, market research has indicated that, um, firstly, the biggest uh, generation of sales comes from impulse buying. So not a lot of people will set out to the supermarket with mangoes on their shopping list. But if they get there and there is a massive, beautiful display of great-looking fruit out the front of the store, then people are 82%. I mean, their drive will be about 82% driven by impulse buying of mangoes right there on the spot. The second driver of mango buying, particularly for domestic customers, is the quality. So how does the mango look? How does it smell? And how does it eat? We have some good research that has indicated if people have a bad eating experience, they may not come back to buy another mango for six to eight weeks, which is the entire length of one growing region in Australia, which is a massive amount of time in a seasonal product. So one of the really key things that we're doing is um, we've implemented some industry standards around testing the dry matter through near-infrared technology. They're portable machines. They're a bit expensive for smaller growers. So us as industry development officers offer a free on-farm testing service. Um, Dry matter essentially indicates um, the level of physiological maturity of the fruit, and this is correlated with the Um, end eating experience when the mango is ripened so we have some minimum standards around that per variety so that's been one of the um, key um, tools in the toolbox with um, improving the consumer's eating experience yeah it's amazing like the impact if a consumer is turned off i suppose like looking at the mango industry i've always we've had a mango man come down to dubbo um Pretty sure he comes from Queensland somewhere. He comes down with a couple of ton and sells them and comes back again. But it is that impulse. I don't think I've ever written down to buy a mango in Woolworths or Coles. But to actually get it onto the shopping list, that's a bit of a big task for yourself. Yeah, and you have to be, um, we have different levels of commitment from consumers and you definitely have to be what we call one of our wedded buyers who buys... Um, seven, ten or more times during the mango season. So, yeah, if you're not one of those very committed consumers, then no, it definitely won't be on your shopping list. Yeah, definitely. For, like, working with the bigger retailers for getting into the food, have you worked much with them at all, the big supermarkets? Yeah, so I, I mean, obviously I'm more focused at the production end of things, but 
Um, in our industry body, we have a marketing manager who's constantly talking to um, our key retailers. So major mango retailers in Australia include obviously the big supermarkets, so Coles, Woolworths, Aldi um, and Metcash, which are a lot of the IGAs. But also um, one of our best sellers is actually Harris Farm Markets, who is based in Sydney, Newcastle, and now is opening some stores in Brisbane. But they're really constantly looking at that industry forecast that we publish each week that I mentioned previously so they can plan their promotions um, and their in-store activities around the volumes of mango that are planned to be coming. Yeah. Well, sex, it's, I think like you really need to as an industry to push your, your product, the mango in this case, forward um, just to get it onto consumers in their fridges, in the cupboards. Yeah, and I mean, that's what we're really offering to retailers. We're offering that double-pronged value proposition. We're offering that quality guarantee through the dry matter testing. And people like Woolworths have really embraced that. They have their own testing machine and regularly do testing in their DCs. And then secondly, that forecasting. So they're planning promotions and allowing themselves to be prepared when there's peak volumes of fruit coming through to move that fruit through lower prices or through promotions as quickly as possible. Looking on like the testing for quality, is there something that you do with the like wasted mangoes? Um, what do you mean by wasted like mangoes? Like if they if they're not up to scratch or they're damaged by weather. Is so it- yeah, okay. So um, so firstly, if growers have the correct accreditations, um, then most of the premium fruit will go into. Um, the major retailers, like I previously mentioned, and then obviously into some um, higher-end green grocers and fruit shops. Then, um, so growers will generally pack, and and everyone packs a bit differently, but growers will generally pack a first class and sometimes a really premium class in the first class, and then they'll pack a second class, which um, may go more to the sort of food service industry or it may go to other stores which are offering sort of the imperfect picks kind of fruit and then there'll be the bulk class which will also potentially go to either the food service industry or go to processing and then obviously you have your big um, processing companies such as Tropico which will um, take juice contracts and things like that for your um, leftover fruit as well during the season. Excellent. Well, it sounds like it's all happening within the mango industry. What's the next big project coming up across your table? Um, So I guess we're in the middle of mango season. So um, just keeping track of what's happening with the crop, keeping that forecast updated. So we're talking to the rest of the industry about what's happening, Um, getting out there and testing that fruit before it's getting down to market and, um, making sure growers have all the information that they need to get the best fruit to market um, as they need. Um, And then in the off-season, we're still busy. We're always running post-season events for growers. We have a really great um, irrigation masterclass coming up for a few different production regions. Um, So that's really exciting. 
And we're also um, developing our new website, which is going to have a best practice resource, bringing together all the existing information and research that's been done to date in the mango industry. Yeah, so farmers can relate back to that as a bit of a hub for their own business. Yes, yeah, that's the, that's the plan. Well, it sounds excellent that you really hit the ground running getting into the mango industry. And like, do you think you'd be so up to date with everything if you didn't go to Lao with the tropical forages or? Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, it w- Lao, I've had a few different experiences before Lao in, in Southeast Asia. Um, but I think Lao um, just enables you to see things from, from a totally different perspective. And also on a personal side of things, um, really gives you an appreciation for um, firstly what we have in Australia, but secondly, um, where agriculture is from a global perspective. And um, there's a lot of work to do in some of those, in some of those regions in Southeast Asia. Um, but it's, it's great working in things like international development because, you know, the smallest changes can make the biggest impact over there. Whereas in Australia, you know, we're really just fine-tuning, fine-tuning our production practices so we don't get as much of an incremental return. But over there, the smallest things can, yeah, just make the biggest impact on people's livelihoods and businesses. Yeah, definitely. Excellently, the smallest changes can make the biggest impact. Um, we might start to wrap it up there. Thank you very much, Sarah. For the podcast, who would you like to hear on here and why? It might be good to get like a mango farmer just to see their experience, how they're doing things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a busy time for, for mango growers, but I think maybe in the off season, it'd yeah. be great to um, to maybe get one of our territory mango farmers on. Um, there's there's a couple of really good growers that I can think of. Um, one guy, Andrew Dugleish, he's an organic mango farmer down in Catherine. He also grows organic um, asparagus. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a really interesting guy. Um, but outside of the growers, um, also maybe something a little bit different um uh i would recommend maybe lydia burton she's a reporter with abc rural i think she's based in toowoomba now but she used to be up here in darwin um being a reporter for the country hour and she's got some interesting stories to tell yeah there's some superb suggestions um i have to get in touch for sure how how can we contact you as an industry or even reach out to yourself yeah, so um, professionally, all of my work contact details and also my colleagues, uh, you can find on the Australian Mangoes industry website. So we actually have two websites. We have an industry one for growers and industry people. And we have a consumer one. But on the industry one, you'll find my contact details. But you can also find me just at Sarah Hayne um, on LinkedIn um, or also Hayne underscore SJ on Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Good to get uh, insight into Australian mangoes and to look into horticulture a bit more. I'm keen to do a bit more of horticulture. You seem quite beef and sheep dominant currently, but it'd be good to get you guys on board. Yeah, no worries. No, I just listened to your podcast the other day um, from Tanya at uh, Neutrano. 
uh, which was really interesting. So thanks yeah, for having was, me. She was really cool to speak to. Um, and also good to see like different aspects of horticulture and you bringing the mango in. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nutrano actually has a mango farm up in Catherine here. So um, we have a bit to do with their stuff that um, associated with that farm as well. All oh, right. You'll have to let us know when your favourite mango drops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, there's definitely plenty of um, mangoes going to market um, at this stage and will be for the rest of the summer. Sounds good. Thank you, Sarah. No worries. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the 22nd episode of Farms Advice Everything Agribusiness Podcast. Hope you're able to take something away with you from this episode to improve your own enterprise or at least start the conversation anyway. It's looking like a solid harvest for Aussie mangoes, so put a couple on your shopping list today. To find out the show notes, visit farmsadvice.com.au and follow us on social media at farmsadvice for further motivation. If you have any questions, we'd love to answer them on the podcast, so send them through. Please help me reach the 135,000 farms across Australia by sharing this podcast. Only if you liked it, of course. Onwards and upwards for agribusinesses in Australia. Tune in next week. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.